The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday morning at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Uh, so I, uh, I primarily get the chance to work with our, uh, our middle and high school students. Um, that's, that's where I spend the majority of my time. Uh, I, I love uh, hanging out with them, getting in their environment. Um, I also get to hang out with our kids' ministry every now and again, but I primarily work with them. And uh, it's been about 10 months or so, uh, right around there, since I started here as a part of this West Pines family. And, uh, you know, what's, what's so interesting is that me and my wife, we, we talked about this the other day, that we know for sure, perhaps more than we ever have, that we are where we need to be and that this is the pocket, this is where God has called us for this season. And what makes that so interesting, and what might be a surprise to you, is that when this opportunity was first presented to me, uh, to come on board and be a part of the West Pines family, and specifically work with middle and high school students, I almost immediately dismissed it. I almost immediately said, not for me, uh, you know, that's, that's not my thing. And I was working at a church in Gainesville, really comfortable, in an environment where I knew a lot of people, uh, had my thing going for me, and so it was, it was one of those situations where uh, there was a, a laundry list of excuses that I had come up with. Um, there were things, but underneath all of those excuses was a fear. There was a fear underneath all of my excuses that almost caused me to immediately dismiss such an incredible opportunity, and, and here was that fear. I knew that if I gave my life and spent my time and invested my energy and thoughts, if I gave my time to working with middle and high school students, that it would be messy and that it would be difficult and it would be fatherlessness and broken homes and self-harm and depression and difficult circumstances and drama you guys know what I'm talking about. All the parents with teenagers just immediately like, don't, don't elbow them, okay? Uh, relationship issues. I, I, I knew that that's what, that's what it would entail, and that's messy. It, it requires getting your hands dirty. And so that fear, until God dealt with it, almost caused me to totally dismiss this opportunity. You see, when it comes to our kids and students, what I've found is that my fear was actually grounded in a, a real, reasonable thought. It is messy. What your kids and students deal with, really, they shouldn't have to deal with. Some of the things that they grow through, really, the, the stories that, that I've heard and, and some of our, our leaders have heard will break your heart. And, and you know, it's hard and so what, what we're doing through this series as we consider what does it look like to have a thriving home life, one of the questions, one of the things we have to address is, okay, well, what, what challenges do our young generation face? What do they face? What are your kids exposed to? What are they experiencing? What are your students walking into when they walk into their schools? What do they experience when they just pull out their phones? And so what we're going to do hopefully this morning is kind of get an understanding of what it is they're up against and then come up with a response that regardless of age or stage of life, we can all rally around this one response to be a, a light and a hope into this matter. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 15. Um, so follow along with me um, right there uh, in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 says this, 
Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's our passage that we'll study this morning. And, and really, this book of Ephesians, where we're kind of hanging out throughout this series, it's structured uh, in a very strategic way. Paul writes this letter to a group of Christians in Ephesus. And he starts off in the, in the first three chapters really giving us a theological just description, a beautiful picture of who God is, what he's done for us, who Jesus is, and then importantly, very importantly, who we are in light of who God is and what he's done for us. So first three chapters, uh, beautiful language describes what Christ has done for us. And then chapter four kind of bridges onto a new area. He then goes from the theological to the practical. So Ephesians 4 through 6 are very much like sections where you can look, you can examine, and then you can go and actually do what it says. Very simple, very basic, straightforward. Here's what Paul does. He starts out by saying, okay, this is who God is. This is who he's made us to be. This is how he rescued us and restored us. Now this is who you ought to be. This is how you ought to live. If that's true, if what God did for you is true, then this is how you should live. And where we're at in Ephesians chapter 5 is in this section where Paul is using this language that all of our lives should be patterned after Jesus. In fact, the end of chapter 4, right before this, verse 32, says that we should be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us. Chapter 5 verse 1 says that we should be imitators of God as beloved children. And then the next verse says that we ought to love one another and walk in love as Christ loved us. There's this language that everything we do, how we love, how we forgive, should be done as Christ has forgiven us, as Christ has loved us. Every aspect of our lives, if, you've put your, if you put all your chips in on the Jesus guy, like if you follow him, if he's your savior, then your entire life should be patterned after Jesus, as Jesus loved, as Jesus forgave. And in this section, chapter 5, you should go home and read it uh, when, when, you, when you finish up here today. Check out chapter 5. He gives very specific instructions. He references some things that, no doubt, this is what they were dealing with in Ephesus. So he says things like, you know what? Don't treat your body like a sexual commodity. Don't, don't treat your body like that. That's not what your body is. Don't use language that's abusive and destructive. That's not the way Christ set the example for you. He's, he's telling them, don't be pulled in the direction that the world around you is pulling you in. He's saying, I understand that's the water you swim in. I understand that's the culture around you, but don't be pulled. You are made new. You are made whole in Christ. And it's in that context that Paul says, the way that you're going to do that, the way that you actually can live as Christ lived, and you can forgive as Christ forgave, and you can love as he, for, as he loved, is if you look carefully at how you walk. You better look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That word carefully is a word that, that gives us the sense of precision. Paul is saying, I want you to look under every, don't leave any stone unturned. Search out your thoughts, your heart, your intentions. Search out your actions, your words. Look at every area of your life and ask yourself the question. Look carefully at how you're walking. Now, um, suppose you were uh, visiting a counselor. Maybe you had some trouble and you needed some help with something and uh, you really just needed help with this certain issue, and you go to the counselor, you bare your soul, you let them know all the issues going on, you, you tell them everything. And the counselor looks at you and perhaps takes off his glasses and 
after staring at his notes for a little while, looks back up at you and says, I've got what you need. I know what you need to do. You need to look carefully at your life and live wisely. That'll be $180. (laughs) And he just walks away. Okay, this is, this is a painfully simple statement, what Paul just said. He just said, all right, here's, here's how you're going to live different. Here's how you're going to do this. Here's how you're going to look like Jesus. You're going to look carefully at how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. But we must remember, this is in the context. This is not a command in isolation. This is a command in context. And the context is, this is who you are. This is what God has done for you. He's rescued you. He's restored you. He's made you whole. Now live in light of that. But the only way you're going to do it, the only way it's possible in the broken world we live in to do that is to look carefully at how you're walking. He explains it a little further in the next verse. Let's read, read the next verse again. Verse 16 says this, that we're to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The days are evil. Uh, earlier this year, I, I taught on this passage to our middle and high school students. And uh, the example that I gave, um, I think is very helpful. Uh, it, anybody seen Finding Nemo? Yes? Right? Okay, awesome. Uh, for those of you who did see it, there's that scene where they're on the East Australian Current. And uh, they're on their way to get to P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. And they're on the East Australian Current going to Sydney. Now, for those of you who have not seen Nemo, that's a tragedy. Uh, but but uh, you should see it. Um, but for those of you who haven't, you've probably been to the beach and you've experienced what a current is like. A current is when you're out at the beach, you're hanging out with friends or whatever, and then the next thing you know, you're in the waves, right? And you're 30 yards away from where you originally were. You're all of a sudden way down the coastline, not, not having expected it, and you're all the way over there. Paul says that's how life works. If you don't look carefully at how you're walking, if you don't look carefully, if you don't search your heart, search your intentions, examine your actions, that you will be pulled and dragged in a direction that you don't want to go. Uh, this, is, this is something... Um, so not profound, but it's so helpful. So uh, I want you to look at this statement right here. Uh, very important to note. So check out the statement on the screen right now. Wise living requires effort. Wise living requires effort. Here, here's what that means. Um, nobody floats or coasts their way to, lo- to wise living. You don't just kind of hang out and then whoop, wow, man, I'm nailing it. Like that doesn't happen. And, and so there, that's for you optimists in the room, for the pessimists, half-empty type people. Here's the statement conversely. So check this out. Foolish living requires zero effort. Foolish living requires zero effort. Seriously, this is life. This is the world we live in. You want to live foolishly, right? There are um, very few things, like my dad taught me this, very few things in life that you can, be, you can excel at without trying. Very few things in life that you can excel at without trying. Foolish living is one of those exceptions. You don't have to try to live foolishly. Like that's, that's the current that we live in. That, that's the, the world that we find ourselves in that we get dragged almost naturally without trying. I, I've never met with someone, I've never saw, sat with a student who you know, was going through this difficult time because of something they did, a bad decision, an addiction that they started. I've never sat down with them and them explain, 
you know, I just made this careful plan to end up in this place. I, I just came up with this methodical mastermind of a plan to become this, you know, a person who's deceitful and greedy and hurtful toward others. I, I came up with this plan and I was careful to make sure that I was damaging the people around me. Like that, that's not how it works. Foolish living requires zero effort. It's the current we live in. And so Paul says, look carefully. Look carefully at how you're walking not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so if we're going to walk wisely, we, we have to give a definition. What, is, what does wisdom look like? There are so many alternate theories, uh, different ideas, but Paul, fortunately for us, gives us two descriptions. We just read one of them. Verse 16 said that the wise person makes the best use of the time. That the wise person, their approach to the current, their approach to the evil days is not to say, okay, Because there's such a thing as a current in the ocean, I'm going to stay on the shore. I'm not going to get in. It's not what Paul says. Paul says, in the evil days, a wise person makes the best use of the time. Uh, Some of your translations might say, redeems the time. The, The idea here is, in that situation, in the brokenness, in the hurt, in the pain, in the darkness, the wise person says, look, I'm not just going to run from this and choose not to deal with it. The wise person says, no, I'm going to step in. I'm going to not retreat. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to see these broken pieces, and then I'm going to do what I can to make the most, to bring mending and wholeness to the situation. That's what a wise person does. They don't retreat. They don't run away and stay on the shore. They get in, and they make the most. And then the second description we have is in verse 17. Look look with me at verse 17. Let's read that again. He says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is saying, know God's heart. Understand, get acquainted with, get get a sense of your creator's design and desire for your life. Get yourself in a place where you have a relationship with your creator, with your father in heaven, that you know his heart. Understand what his will for your life is. Understand that his commands are not this burdensome list of tasks that he's trying to put on us so that we lose all fun in our lives. But instead, his commands and his word is an invitation into freedom and living as our creator designed us to live. So make the best use of the time. Don't retreat, but step in, engage, get in those difficult circumstances. Shine light in the darkness and then understand, get acquainted with God's heart, his will for your life. Now, as we think about what our students deal with and what they face, as we think about what our kids are up against and what this generation deals with, it's important for for us to consider. And and regardless of, of where you're at, and maybe some of you are here and you're not yet followers of Jesus, you're not really sure where you're at spiritually, Uh, Maybe you've been away from church for a while and you came at the invitation of a friend. Regardless of where you're at spiritually, I think we can all agree that what our kids deal with and what our children face is definitely fitting under the umbrella of evil days. That when Paul says the days are evil, like we don't have to, you turn on the news and you can see it's very clear. There's brokenness, there's hurt. 
And so we can all agree, like, this is an issue. They, they face real things. And so what I want to do is I want to I demonstrate for you some of these things. Um, I, I brought with me um, some alarming statistics uh, about what our kids deal with these days. Listen to this. This is uh, according to the Center for Disease Control. Uh, it says that one in six boys and one in four girls, one in six boys and one in four girls are sexually abused before the age of 18 in our country. That means that in our student ministry on a given night in high school, that there are a dozen kids who have experienced that. Listen to this. Uh, Approximately one in five female high school students report being physically and or sexually abused by a dating partner, by someone they trust. Each year, approximately 157,000 youth between the ages of 10 and 24, 10 and 24, receive medical care for self-inflicted injuries in an emergency department across the United States. A nationwide survey of youth in grades 9 through 12 in public and private schools in the United States found that 16% of students reported seriously considering suicide, 13% reported creating a plan, and 8% trying to take their own life in the last 12 months from when the survey was taken. The, the days are evil for our children and students. And we can go on and on about what they deal with when it comes to bullying, substance abuse. It's a sobering, difficult reality of what they face. So what's our response? Like, How do we engage? How do we step in in this climate and in this culture? Uh, parents, uh, this is for you because I love you and I love your kids too, uh, but they might get mad at me for this. Uh, so uh, here's something you need to know. Um, so it, somewhere in, I want to say, the mid to late 2000s, um, there was something that, that happened uh, with social media that, that you may have experienced or, or noticed. Um, r- as of right now, uh, probably the majority of the adults in this room use Facebook. Uh, probably the majority of you use Facebook. And, and statistically speaking, the majority of the kids in this room do not use Facebook. Uh, and that's really the reverse of what it was uh, when I was in school, when I was in the younger generation. I, so when, when right now, what ended up happening in the mid-2000s, late 2000s, there was a shift that happened. There was this introduction of a new demographic of parents who wanted to connect with old friends and grandparents who wanted to see pictures of their grandbabies. They came in and started, you know, flooding the Facebook market, and the students dipped. Like, they, they fled quickly. And uh, sociologists, they've come up with a very, like, technical term for what this describes. And it's, it's like a, a running hypothesis for the way social media works. And here's the term. I, I want to make sure I don't mess it up. It's the uh, parent and grandparentification of Facebook. And uh, I just made that up. Uh, so this is what happened. Like, Parents and grandparents were introduced into this social media platform, and the kids, for the most part, with some exceptions, fled. And they went onto platforms like Instagram and Twitter. But here's what we're seeing happening. We're seeing the parent and grandparentification of Instagram. And so the next wave, really, so then the next app that kind of came to dominance is Snapchat. And that's kind of taken the world by storm. Now CNN has Snapchat. Uh, the Food Network has a Snapchat that you can go on and watch food. Uh, so, so these apps are indicative of something, indicative of something within the student and ch- child's heart that's very important. 
And the reason I bring this up about apps and the reason I bring this up about these different platforms is because students, you want your parents, you want your parents to be involved even in that area of your life. You want them to care. You really, really need them to care because there might not be a worse hiding place than the internet or social media. If you're using Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat or anything online as an escape from reality and a place to get a hideaway, that's when things get dangerous. And so you need to want your parents to be involved in that area of your life. And students, I challenge you to invite them into that area of your life. It's for your wisdom. It's for your good. And so when we consider this, like, this is, this is one of those areas where there, we have in our pockets more access to more information than previous generations knew existed. And that is a great responsibility. So don't go to the internet or social media to be your secret hiding place. Build a fort. Like, do what I, yeah, build a tent. I don't know, build a treehouse. Be a fun project, okay? So, so this, is, this is important. We've got to engage these issues because what they're up against is real. And so what is our response? If, if the days are really evil for our kids and students, if they're up against a significant wall, then what is our response? There have been uh, some ideas or there's some, uh, there are some streams of thought that think, you know, well, it should be the parent's job to do this. They kind of got this area and then the church will take care of the spiritual side and we'll just kind of delegate and conquer Right? We, parents got the academics and we'll provide and we'll do all that kind of stuff and then we'll send them to church and they'll take care of their morals and all that stuff and make sure they're decent people. Right? Is, that, is that the approach that, that we're called to take? No, no. Paul is saying here, look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. What if instead of that, instead of, delegating and separating our duties? What if together in unison, the home and the church function together as one, believing as our operating principle this for the next generation, believing this, that redeeming is greater than retreating, that redeeming is greater than retreating, that our operating principle when it comes to the the evil days that we're surrounded in is we step in believing that redeeming is greater than retreating. We get in the mess, we get in it. So, so here's what that means. It means at least two things. Number one, parents, it means, and adults really, myself included, every adult, it means we as adults must believe that redeeming is greater than retreating. We ourselves must believe. So sometimes that requires difficult and awkward conversations. I've had my, share, my fair share of awkward conversations with students which to be honest, I'd just rather not address it. I'd rather just kind of let it go, maybe pray about it and hope that it fixes itself. But we have to, yes, pray about it, but be willing to get in, to enter into the brokenness, to see what our kids and students face and say, look, I'm not just gonna kind of hope for the best, but I'm gonna get into that muck and bring those broken pieces and do what I can by God's grace to mend and bring wholeness. And as a church, one of the things that we value most is partnering with parents to instill an everyday faith 
and their children. See, an everyday faith won't happen by one hour a week on a Sunday morning. An everyday faith will happen when the church and the home work together, rallied around the fact that redeeming is greater than retreating. So, so one of the things that we do, our kids' ministry, we, we provide your kids. You'll go and pick them up here in a moment for those of you who have kids. When you pick them up, they will go home with what they were just taught. You'll get a, a picture, a glimpse of what they were instructed in, what verses they covered. And, and that is a tool, that's a resource we give to you so that you can continue that conversation at home. We want you to continue that conversation at home. And then for our student ministry, one of the things that we've started doing recently is before we do a series for our middle or high school students, we send out an email to parents saying, hey, this is what we teach. This is what we're going to be talking about. These are some of the issues that are going to come up. Here are the passages in scripture we're going to be referencing. Here might be a cool way for you to continue the conversation at home. And then we also post our student teaching on the internet so that you can listen. You can hear what's being taught. Because I've been on the other side. I, I have not yet been on the parent's side, but I've been on the other side of the awkward conversation. What did you learn today in church? God. Like parents, you know what I'm talking about. I, it's like pulling teeth to try and get something out of your kids. And so we provide these resources with you so you don't have to say, you know, what did you learn? You already know what they learned. You're asking them questions about what they learned. You're saying, hey, so I hear you're talking about relationships. What, 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 are, what are some of the things that you picked up on from it? You can already have some conversation starters to begin those dialogues at home. Um, another thing is, uh, you know, regardless of stage of life, regardless of uh, where, you're, where you're at, we, we do something here at West Pines that really does help us to get in, to enter in, believe redeeming that is, that believe that redeeming is greater than retreating. One of the things that we do is community groups. And one of the things that you should know about you is that there are people in this community, people here, who are dealing with some of the same things that you're dealing with, who have children and teenagers, or who have older, older children who have already walked through some of the things that are causing you heartache. And some of the things, something you need to know is that you have something to offer somebody else. You have some level of wisdom, some experience to be able to share with someone else. And there's somebody else who can be there to speak into whatever you're going through. So community groups are a way in which friendships and life can be shared. Similar circumstances, similar situations can be shared. And so you don't have to bear that burden alone but people will be praying for you there with you. So if you've never joined a community group, I, I, it's so huge. You, you need to. And watch as God begins to work and bring people into your life that can say, hey, I, we, we went through that. We walked through that. And then for uh, young adults, empty nesters, uh, older uh, seasoned uh, veterans of life, uh, this is not one of those weeks that's kind of like a pass for you, right? This I'm included. I don't have kids myself. So, so for us, who we don't have kids right now. Maybe your kids are grown up. They're adults. What is our response to this call to reach a generation? Well, our response is, hey, listen, we have a kids ministry that is booming with growth through multiple avenues. I mean, we are seeing kids come out of the woodworks. Like, it's, it's amazing to see what God is doing in our kids ministry. And the reason that that can happen is we have a team of volunteers from all stages of life who want to be involved in investing in children's lives. And we're very careful, we're very, very 
strategic with who we place in the classroom and safety is so important for us. But what if, what if God is calling you? Even though you might not have children of your own, what if, what if God is calling you to step in the gap for some child, to be there for them? And our student ministry, what we do, really the heroes of our ministry are our tribe leaders. They're the ones who are on the front lines. They're the ones who get the late night phone calls. They're, they're the ones who do all of that. Well, what if God is calling you to somehow in some way be involved in a student's life? Not retreating from the messiness, not allowing that fear to keep you away and keep you comfortable, but being willing to step in and engage. And just as a, a statement, because if you walk over to our kids' ministry or if you would ever walk over to our student ministry, it's something that you, you could probably notice almost immediately. And that's that you will see a, just a score of godly women, uh, just a huge team of incredible women loving and serving our children and students. And far fewer men. Far fewer men. And as, as a young man myself, my burden in my heart is that God would raise up men who are willing to say, redeeming is greater than retreating. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's inconvenient. I know it's past what I'm used to. But for the sake of the next generation, I'm gonna give my life, I'm gonna pour out my life for the sake of others. Uh, on your connection card, when you walked in, um, in your bulletin, there's a, a place where you can check off and say, hey, I want more information about student ministry. I want more information about kids ministry. There's all sorts of different ways that you can be involved, regardless of if you want to do something where it's once a month or every week. There's, there's different opportunities for you to serve and be a part of restoring and redeeming what's broken and lost in this next generation. I'd encourage you to check off that box, fill that out, and on your way out today, uh, write that down and, and put it in the offering box on your way out. So first, adults, like, we got to step in. We adults need to believe redeeming is greater than retreating. And then secondly, we need to train our children to believe that redeeming is greater than retreating. We're, we're not just content with babysitting kids and students. It's not what we do. We pour into them. We've been called to make mathetes. A mathetes is an all-committed, full-on, no-reservations follower of Jesus. And a mathetes is not a monk. A monk retreats and kind of hides away. No, a mathetes is rescued to rescue, placed on this earth for a purpose to shine a light. And so we're constantly pouring into our kids and students saying, how can you be a light in your environment? whether that's at your elementary school, whether that's in your home, whether that's in your middle or high school, on your sports team, what does it look like to redeem and restore? We're, we're, we're not settling for just, you know, pro providing a safe protection for your children. We do that. But we want them to so love Jesus and so get to know him that they can look carefully at how they're walking and make the most of the evil days that they encounter every single day. So students, kids, what we want for you is to walk wisely and make the most of your days. Uh, yesterday, uh, for many of us, was a, a holiday, the kickoff of college football season. Uh, it was for me. I was anticipating it all day. Uh, my Gators won a lot. Uh, so uh, I, I love college football, and uh, one of the things that I remember most 
from my time at the University of Florida was going into the swamp and experiencing that environment. Uh, if you've ever been to a college football game, uh, you may have noted uh, that there's a section always at the football game that's just insane. They're, they're rowdy. They're the most passionate. Like standing, standing is a must. Like you cannot sit. It's halftime. People still stand. Like you can't sit. There's a section that is just the most rambunctious group of people. It's the student section. And one of my favorite memories of being in college was getting to sit and stand in that student section with thousands and thousands of students yelling our brains off. And whether you've been to a college sporting event or not, something that really is across like multi-athletic sporting events, like across all different kinds, something called the wave. You've probably seen it, right? Okay. Uh, I would say we do it, but we just won't do that. Okay, so, so the wave, you've probably seen it on TV or something. And if you ever go to a college sporting event, especially college football, when there's a wave 99 times out of 100, you can bank on it that it started in the student section. Like that's where the wave starts. They're the rowdiest. They're the most rambunctious. They're the most passionate. They have the most energy, sometimes to their detriment. But they are the most loud. They're, they're the ones that start the wave. And church, the wave starts in the student section for us. In the church, the wave throughout history has started in the student section. The biggest difference, the, the biggest impact that ends up happening is when we stop looking at our kids as just the church of the future and instead see them as the church of today and see our kids as not just people that one day are going to have to come up with responsibility and one day are going to, but no, our kids and students who have made that decision to trust in Jesus, that they are fully capable and fully called to be followers of Jesus, to be a light, to choose to redeem rather than retreat. And as a church, we are believing and trusting that God has called us to do this with our kids and students. They are up against incredible difficulties and challenges. The, the task of hard. Task is so hard. One of the things that we know from reading the Bible is that the path of redemption is full of hurt and tears. But the destination of redemption is full of glory. It's full of joy. And it's so worth it. And so it would make sense that God would call us to this task. It would make sense that God would say, no, I don't want you to retreat. I want you to enter in and redeem because that's precisely what he did for us. Because God looked down on our broken, hurting world, full of darkness and pain, full of people who have rebelled against him. God looked at that and rather than retreating and saying, deal with it, he entered in. Jesus left heaven the perfection and peace and glory of heaven and entered into this dark space to redeem and restore and to mend. And Jesus Christ, God's son, who never once sinned, who never once was deceitful, who never once was selfish, who was perfect in every way, was sentenced to the death of a worst criminal as though he had committed the worst crime. And Jesus Christ went to a cross. And on the cross, what's happening is not just some physical death, but Jesus becoming sin for us. Therefore, God's justice, his right 
anger and punishment towards rebellion and deceitfulness and selfishness and jealousy. God's right punishment and justice is being taken out on his own son so that the rebels could be free, so that we could be recipients of his grace, of his love, of his mercy, and so that we could be made new. And Jesus rose from the dead, proving he defeated death and that he paid the price for sin. And now he calls us to pattern our lives after him. And the only way we'll do it is if we look carefully at how we walk. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He redeemed you. Would you bow your heads? Just as we close out our time, I want to ask you, if you yourself, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never been restored in your relationship with God, you've never experienced redemption yourself, then what you need to know is that because of your sin, because of your disobedience, that you are separated from God in need of his forgiveness, in need of salvation. And so God responded by entering into our brokenness, sending his son for you. And if right now you in this moment make the decision to trust in Jesus, to rest in his grace, to believe that on the cross he died for you, taking your punishment, that right now you can be restored and redeemed, made new and made whole. You can become a new creation. And if you want that right now, you can just, where you are, you can say something like this. You can pray this in your heart. Jesus, I, I know that I am broken. I know that I need you. I know that I've gone my own way. I know that I live foolishly. So help me. I believe in what you did for me, that on the cross you paid for my sins and that you were risen so that I could experience eternal life, so I could walk with you in heaven, and so that I have the power and the ability to walk wisely today. Forgive me, restore me, make me new. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.